You're now listening to Free the Tongue Podcast, brought to you by American English TAFL, a podcast that explores language and culture. Hello, my beautiful people. This is Season 2, Episode 2, Systemic Racism in Education. Now, this was initially made for the superintendent. However, I am going to be sharing it with you all today. But understand that when I am seemingly referring to someone, it is the superintendent whom I am referring to. So without further ado, let's get started. First, I'd like to thank you for providing me with this opportunity to to speak with you. Your prompt response and fast action really sends the message that you care. When I emailed you raising claims of systemic racism affecting teachers of color in our district, you asked me about the research behind my claims. So I took the time to compile it all in this PowerPoint in order to shine a light on this problem in our district. And I'm gonna read to you guys this quote here. These comparisons are important because evaluation ratings can significantly affect teachers' job security and because the overall supply of teachers in Michigan and especially of black teachers has declined considerably over the decade. And that was a quote from the Education Policy Innovation Collaborative, 2019. I am categorized as a third year teacher, and thus I'm at risk of being fired due to the fact that on paper, I appear to be a minimally effective teacher, despite the gains that my students have made that say otherwise. According to research done by Michigan State University professors Stephen Drake, Joshua M. Cowan, and Amy Auletto, my situation is not unique. In fact, this is a statewide problem. Their study reveals some very concerning trends that align with the context that I received my evaluations. Some of those trends include statewide Nearly 19% of black teachers in Michigan received a low rating from 2011 to 2016, compared to just 7% of white teachers. Teachers of color, especially black teachers, are 50% more likely to receive low evaluation ratings than white teachers within the same school. And teachers of color, in schools with high numbers of white teachers are more likely to receive low ratings. I am a teacher of color within a school with a high number of white teachers, which puts me at risk of being 50% more likely to receive a low evaluation rating than my peers. Several patterns stand out in the overall results of the study conducted. The first is the relative lack of low ratings, minimally effective or ineffective, for all teachers in Michigan. Overall, 
an average of only 2.6% of Michigan teachers during this time period received a low rating in a given year. The second pattern shows how different that frequency is for teachers of color. On average, 4.5% of Latino and Latina teachers received a low rating in a given year, more than twice the frequency of white teachers. Meanwhile, 7.5% of black teachers received minimally effective ratings in a given year, more than three times the frequency of white teachers. These results are shocking. Teacher evaluations were put in place to reward good teachers and weed out the bad ones so that Michigan's student learning could improve. But the results of the study show that's not what happened. Unless we are to believe that the only ineffective teachers in our state are teachers of color, especially black teachers. Though some may be tempted to believe that, that was proven to be false by a study done by Brown University that found on average, teacher evaluations tied to student test scores did not increase learning. In fact, one suggested reason that the evaluation reform didn't work was because it produced so little variation in teacher ratings. In 2011, when the teacher evaluation law took effect, 98% of teachers were judged by their school administrators to be effective. In the 2020-21 school year, 99% were deemed effective. In other words, white teachers who were given effective ratings in majority didn't improve student learning. However, they were seldomly penalized for it. But teachers of color, especially black teachers, were indicating a problem of systemic racism. When I first arrived to the district, if anyone had cared to look they would have seen that I was talent. I had recently returned back to the USA after having spent two years teaching English abroad in a private school attended by the children of some of the most affluent people in Budapest. I spent those two years learning from teachers I hold in very high regard and it was a, my privilege to work with and learn from. It was from my experience in that school that I realized my passion for teaching and gained a respect and an awe of the talent of a good teacher. In Europe, my CELTA certification and my native English speaking abilities were enough to give me the status of the equivalent of an EL teacher in America and required me to build my own curriculum and lesson plans. I realized quickly the limitations of my then certification, but was not deterred. Being the proactive self-starter I am, I began the work that was necessary to become good at what I was doing. Upon my return to the USA, I was able to leverage my foreign language teaching experience to get an EL teacher job in Detroit. 
and EL stands for English Learner. At that time, I was able to do so on a long-term substitute teaching permit while pursuing my Michigan teaching certification. However, it didn't take me long to realize that the position that I was hired into was actually an administrative position. I got the job because the previous EL teacher that was in that position left after realizing it was actually an administrative position without administrative pay and and required more work than she was willing to do. However, I saw opportunity and looked at it as an internship. It was a struggling school, but those kids deserved the same quality of education that the kids received in the private school I worked in. I wasn't certified for that job, but I arose to the occasion and got to learning quickly. I enrolled in a TESOL master course while simultaneously pursuing my teaching certification and ESL endorsement, which is when I first met our EL director in the district. While vigorously pursuing the knowledge and skills to do my job well, as fast as possible, I stayed on top of my administrative and teacher duties. I learned the WIDA inside and out. I learned the laws surrounding ELs to keep the school compliant as best as I could. I created lesson plans and a schedule for the paras that worked under me to service the kids. It was an uphill battle, but I was driven by the conviction that those kids deserved a quality education. That year solidified my passion for the advocacy of my students. I had seen the very best education had to offer and the worst. And I'm the type of person that cannot sit and be quiet in the face of inequity. I'm a project-based learner. So to ensure that I never lost my focus and I never forgot why I was doing this work and who I was doing it for, I founded the startup English Language Development Services and I began to build a platform from which I could raise awareness of inequity in the education of ELs. I came into GRPS in October of 2019 with all of that experience in my portfolio on my website. However, I was still not certified yet So I subbed while finishing up my course. It was when I took a job subbing at my current school when the administrators at the time saw that I had great classroom management skills and offered me a long-term subbing position. My work with my students impressed them and when I became certified with my ESL endorsement in December, I was asked to stay and was hired in as a full-time teacher. Grateful for the job and eager to learn, I stayed in my admin's office begging for training because I loved my job and I wanted to be the best I could be to provide my students with an equitable quality education. I know almost every director in the district 
probably knows who I am because at some point or another, I've reached out to many of them on my own time to further my professional development. I asked questions even when people thought I was stupid for asking them. I didn't care because I wanted to know what they knew. I wanted to know what I didn't know and what I should know. I came up with project ideas to help close the achievement gap for ELs in our district. I developed strategies to teach English when you don't speak the same language of your student. And I continued taking master courses. Pardon me if this sounds like hubris, but I'm sharing all this with you so that you understand why I am confident in calling myself talent. However, I have not been treated or regarded as such by the district since I've been hired in. In fact, I've been made to feel like a nuisance. So when I hear the district doesn't know why it can't retain teachers of color, it's pretty clear to me from my experience that it's because a message is being sent that we're not valued here, we're not seen here, we're not celebrated here, and our teaching evaluations are just another tool to make that clear. And not that everything that I do for my students, I do because I need praise or celebration or anything like that. But to be in a district for three years and never be acknowledged for the individual efforts I have done for my students and, my, and the students in my school as a whole, and the only time that I have been acknowledged was once when I did a conference with a couple of my colleagues for our district. I see my colleagues be celebrated for their hard work. I see my colleagues be recognized and appreciated for the things that they do. And I believe that they deserve that. But the reason why I make sure that when I go through the halls in the school, I greet every student and I talk to all students, regardless of if they're in my class or not, is because I know the positive effects of being seen, appreciated, and recognized. When you came to visit my classroom, that meant so much to me and my students. I was told that it was not a big deal that you were coming, but I said it was a big deal to have the leader of our district come to our classroom. And I made sure my kids saw it that way too. So when you came, it made them feel super special to have such an important person come to see them demonstrate their learning. Though you were very modest about it, they saw it as a privilege earned through their hard work. You may remember they sold you postcards. I spend my own money to throw parties and decorate my classroom for every holiday because I remember the impact it had on me when my first grade teacher did the same. I have been plastering my students' work all over the hallways in places where most teachers would never think to use, creating murals of their work. The only time 
it was ever acknowledged by my admins was when a district director came in and pointed out that she really liked it. I know that I caused positive effects within my school that will never that I will never be given credit for or will never be acknowledged. And while most of my colleagues I truly believe are good people and I have felt have shown that they care and have tried to make me feel a part of the team, I have endured microaggressions from others who I've greeted and they have walked right past me, not saying a word. I have also experienced microaggressions of others being aggressive with me whenever they spoke to me, if they spoke to me without even knowing me, but being very friendly to everyone else. If you'd like, I could create a list of all the microaggressions that I've experienced in this district that has left me feeling overworked, underpaid, and not valued at all. My refuge has been my classroom because regardless of if my colleagues or admins or anyone else in our district appreciated, saw, or valued the work I did, my students and their parents do. But the straw that broke the camel's back was my recent observation, evaluation. I feel the deck was stacked against me from the beginning. When the new principal came into the school, right away I felt she was highly critical of my performance as a teacher in ways that I observed that she was not with others. For example, I was told to use curriculum resources, which I always do, but I know for a fact that not everyone does. When I asked if that was a conversation they were having with everyone, they told me that it was for them to worry about. In a conversation about the students' writing abilities and where they were, I was told that my students should be able to write a paragraph. And it, they looked at me crazy that these COVID kids were not there yet. So within a month, my students wrote their first paragraph. I do not believe that my colleagues were told that their students need to be able to write a paragraph. And there are many more incidents like that where what was expected of me did not seem to be something that was communicated to everyone. But nevertheless, I'm always eager to learn and grow and I try to be open-minded. So I took their advice and tried to incorporate all the changes they suggested, even though sometimes it was contradictory and ill-advised. I gave it a shot anyways. By the time of my observation, I had already been observed three times and critiqued with no acknowledgement of anything I did right. But being as I am, I tried to incorporate everything they said into my observation. And I'll admit 
That day I did not do my best teaching. I had internalized all of their doubt in me and taught how they told me to and they didn't like it. After my observation, I was extremely humiliated. Not because of my performance, but because I had allowed them to get into my head. I teach my students all the time. One day, you'll be in front of someone that does not believe in you. And you have to have the confidence to stand strong against their perceptions and believe in yourself. And in that moment, I did not follow my own advice. But I, always, I also teach my students how to prove their case using evidence. So immediately after that observation, I sent my admins videos of my students doing everything the Danielson rubric looks for, and in some cases at the exceptional level. I sent them proof of my students' ability to complete the objective that we worked on during the evaluation. Not only that, I tested my kids using the district standard baseline ELA assessment and found that my students grew from a 45% on average to a 70%. Hardly the results of a minimally effective teacher. After my evaluation, I talked to one of my white colleagues who was also rated min minimally effective. However, her experience was to be different from mine. The admins were very apologetic about her scoring, but mine was taken as an affirmation of what they already believed about me. She, like I did, used evidence to prove that her score was not justified and during her post-evaluation meeting, they changed her score in some of her components because they agreed with her. However, she was still minimally effective with those changes. But the next day, she was told by the admins that they had thought about her scoring and felt it wasn't indicative of her skills and abilities. So they think she would like her final rating now, implying that her final rating would be changed. My meeting was after hers. Not only did my challenge of the rating fall on deaf ears, when I presented the data of my student test scores rising from a 45% on average to a 70%, I was told that was not good enough, which prompts the question of what is 80%, 90%, and is that the standard for everyone? I was gaslit to the high heavens in that observation. No matter what I said to them, they could not hear or understand me because their starting perceptions of my skill and abilities were that I was in a deficit. But why? Well, we saw from the research, black teachers are overwhelmingly considered minimally effective or ineffective in comparison to their white peers in the state of Michigan. What I was not prepared for was the story behind the statistics shown by my personal experience that provides the qualitative data to answer the question of how is it 
white teachers are overwhelmingly rated effective despite not raising student test scores, while disproportionately black teachers are rated minimally effective or ineffective, leading to a sharp decline of black teachers in the profession in Michigan. It is absurd that a black teacher can raise student test scores and be told that is not good enough and evaluate it as minimally effective. My experience paired with the research data helps answer the question of why we as a district are having a hard time retaining teachers of color. This, something, this is something that is not a surprise to the people of color in the district, many who have stories like mine's. But I have chosen to break the cycle and speak up and out loud about this issue despite the fact that my job is at risk now for speaking up and I fully expect to be fired on some technicality as soon as possible. But I also understand that it was at risk anyways if I didn't. The lack of teachers of color in our district does not only send a message to the teachers of color that we're not good enough to help the kids in our communities, but it sends that same message to the students. Most importantly, I knew I had to speak up because I know the same systematic racism that put my job at risk is the same systemic racism which leads to student demographic statistics that look like this. What has further prompted me to speak up and lends to the fact that the same institutionalized racism that affects teacher of color affects students of color is a news report covering a student in our ISD that felt so affected by the racism in his district, he organized to get students together to voice their concerns. Based on the data obtained by the district, the district knows that we have a problem. My explanation for that problem is not far-fetched. It's known that there is a there are racial disparities in our district. The problem persists because we don't have any systems in place to do anything about it. And until we do, we'll see few changes in obtaining and retaining talented teachers of color because you can't retain talent when you can't recognize it or see it but this is my city this is my home i'm not going anywhere when i have children of my own they'll attend the district that is why I am committed to doing the work that is necessary to make sure change gonna come. I have plenty of ideas of solutions and I look forward to providing input to the strategic planning committee about taking action. Thank you. All right guys, that concludes 
this podcast episode. Now, I'm just going to say it because I feel very called to say this. There are a lot of real tangible examples of microaggressions that I have left out to not hurt anyone's else feelings. And because to quite frankly, I'm afraid of the retaliation that I'm going to get for it. So I just want to put that out there. I am afraid of retaliation that I might get for speaking up about how someone did me wrong. I'm afraid I have to be afraid of that. So I, I just want you guys to know that there are so many examples that I can give you, but I would prefer to give them and talk to the people that I trust. I have provided some in this podcast and it, it, it took bravery to do that because like I said, speaking up about these sort of things give backlash, but thank you all who have been standing here with me, who have encouraged me to keep up this work and to be strong. I see you. I value you and I thank you. folks that's all for this episode i hope you've all enjoyed listening to this podcast for community brought to you by american english tefl i'll see you next time